Hello and welcome to the first episode of Beyond the Beat. I'm Rowan Hoskin. And I'm Tom Burgess, and we're trainee journalists from the Cardiffian newsroom. This week, to kickstart the series, we'll talk a bit about the aim of the podcast, why we chose journalism, and take a look at the challenges we faced writing the stories of the week. There's 22 reporters in the newsroom, and we each have a beat in and around Cardiff. Mine is Grangetown and the Sports Village. And mine is Splot, Tremorfer, Pengham Green and Trowbridge. We decided to do this podcast as a way to show aspiring journalists or trainees sort of what goes on behind the scenes finding stories and actually producing good pieces of journalism. There's a lot more to it than I'd have known a year ago. And so I think it's nice to show what goes on behind the beat. And also for members of the public who might sort of doubt student credentials, um, it sort of shows all the work that we do put in behind the scenes. Um, So jumping right in, why did you want to be a journalist? So I've always wanted to be a writer. When I was younger, I thought I was going to be an author. But um, then I I started writing like a little magazine for my, well, for friends and family. Um, and that was when I was in like year six. It didn't last long, but I, I did enjoy writing it and finding like little news stories. Not in the sense of what I would now think is a news story, but you know, what was happening on Animal Crossing that week or, you know, <laughs> I enjoyed it a lot. Um, and then I, I I kind of knew that English was English literature and kind of stuff like that was what I wanted to do. A brief period, I wanted to be a scientist. Um, and then in A-levels, we had to pick our subjects. And up until, I think maybe from year seven to year nine, I was like, yes, scientist, I'm going to be a scientist. And then we had to take GCSEs, and I was like, yeah, maybe, maybe a scientist, maybe still English literature. Um kind of didn't pick one. And then at A-levels, I took biology, chemistry, as well as French and English literature. And uh, yeah, suddenly scientist was no longer on the cards because chemistry was a little bit too difficult for me. (laughs) So um, I decided to combine my interests and didn't choose to do a journalism degree undergrad because I thought realistically, it's better to get something not to do with journalism for my undergrad and then develop into it later on. So I did English literature, but from A-levels, I knew I wanted to be a scientific journalist because I think that's the way that kind of the world is going. I think we all need to have a better understanding of the science and, and the climate and stuff like that and the environment. And so I want to write about that and find people who know this stuff and experts in the fields and kind of make all of that accessible for people that might not have previously been interested in science or understand it because sometimes it can be sometimes those reports are very elitist and um, use special jargon which lots of people can't understand so yeah that's why I wanted to become a journalist because I just like writing and I like science and think more people should read about it but I think it is really important actually to combine both the sciences and the humanities I think that that does the whole divide that starts about a level between sort of people who are going down the science route triple science maths and the people that are doing history English literature politics RE you know that is a divide that shouldn't really happen but it absolutely does I remember my sixth one was split between the people doing the humanities and science and sort of combining that they shouldn't be separate they overlap in so many ways so it's it's really important that we do encourage that and sort of show that to people as well but yeah what is the reason that you wanted to become a journalist 
Um, I wanted to be a journalist um, because I don't want a, an office job, <laughs> fundamentally. I think the idea of being stuck in a nine-to-five that I didn't enjoy is horrifying. Um, I love the variety of journalism. I think meeting new people for stories and, he- and, and hearing about their lives is it's amazing. It's, it's absolutely... It, nothing is as fun for me as meeting a stranger and hearing about their lives because anything can be a news story from local about sort of someone who's done something for the for the community they've set up a shop or something or regionally it suddenly can be a group of people that have decided to raise money or whatever or uh, holding events or have even like started an axe throwing business or you know mm. there is a, there's such a scale there is no sort of same day in journalism and I love that variety that's what I love I love the fact that one day you could have nothing you could be just clawing at stories like please respond to me I need a story for tomorrow and then all of a sudden you get a response or you get a FOI request back and suddenly you were just sorted like every day is different being a journalist and you you just you know one day could be bad but the next day could be amazing it is it's not smooth it's not like a constant upward trend it's sort of it's very up and down I think some days you get emails back saying no 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 we don't want to talk to journalists or you can't come to our event we don't want any press there and the next you get three people coming back to you with saying oh we'd love to talk to you it's a brilliant opportunity to give our business sort of exposure or you know it'd be amazing to have you at the event it's it's a roller coaster but I'd far rather that than sort of monotony yeah I think that's an interesting way to um, segue into our first subject of like, what are some of the struggles that we've faced? Well, one of them is, you know, you put out emails to people, you aren't necessarily going to get a response. You phone people up, you aren't necessarily going to get a response. But I remember you had, do you want to talk about your um, story where they originally told you no? Oh, yeah. So so there was this railway garden project to when I started the course in September, I'd sent them an email saying, would it be okay to do an interview? Can I talk to anybody involved? And I got an email back fairly immediately saying, no, we've we've done lots of interviews with uh, student journalists or whatever, and we're not interested. Um, but I'd sort of noted that down because I had her name, the woman I was talking to. And, um, and that always helps in emails to direct it to somebody as opposed to a hi or whatever. Um, and I talked to them at the start of this term and they said, yeah, absolutely, we've got a really good event coming up. We're at the halfway point of the completion. It was a £400,000 project, so it was fairly massive for the area. Um, so it was a really nice sort of piece to, to, to shed some light on and tell people that they were having a coffee morning and that they can update the community what's going on. Um, but persistence is key. It's not, it's not easy going. Yeah, and sometimes it's like knowing how long to wait. So if you would have necessarily emailed a week later, you probably still would have got a no. I've I've got a I've got a little spreadsheet. <laughs> Tell us about the spreadsheet. Yes. So basically, a few weeks ago, I'd done like two stories, which I just was. They were fine. They weren't the level of story that I wanted. I had a week like that last week. Yeah. And I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to sit down, I'm going to make a cup of tea, and I'm just going to absolutely rack my brain for just anything that I could ask. So I sent out, I started an Excel spreadsheet where I would put in the, like, the basic story premise that I had thought of, who I would contact, when I first contacted them, and then... I've got um, columns for have they re- like responded, and if they if they have, what did they say? 
if they haven't responded, how long I should wait till I res- like email them again. And um, for my FOIs, I sent out a bunch of FOIs, which little little tip, that's one of the best ways I think to get like a really good story. Like you get stories that are not written about. That's the key, isn't it? It's no one else knows that information. Yeah. You're getting access to something that no one else knows about. And, and it's it's, it's not, not like, like it's not like it's like it's, it's all information, information that is available, available but no one else has thought of asking for it. Or if they have, they haven't asked for it recently, recently, you know? Or even in the right way. Yeah. You can be trying to ask for something and they go, you've worded this wrong. And, and maybe if you were just putting out a pun, you just go, oh, well, I'm going to leave that then. Mm. That's the thing. You have to, the thing with FOIs is you have to get the wording spot on because realistically, a lot of the time, they don't want to give you the information. They are legally bound to. You you just have to ask for an FOI in the proper way. And if they turn you down, reword it and send it again. Because realistically, if they've done that to you, that probably means they've done that to other people, which probably means that the information is quite valuable. For example, last week I had a story on Friday about um, how much money the Cardiff Council has spent on the work being done at Grangemore Park, which is situated above an old landfill. Um, I asked a, a whole series of questions. My first one being, how much have you spent? That's the only one I got a clear answer to because every other one was kind of, it was like, what measures have you put in place? to make sure that this doesn't happen again. I got, I did ask one more, it was like, has the leak stopped? Um, also for people that don't know, basically the um, old landfill has been leaking since at least 2017 because uh, residents have submitted uh, emails and stuff to, to members of the um, council warning them about the film. Anyway, you can read that on, on the article, but basically the leak has not stopped and it's been nearly a year since Natural Resource Wales got involved to uh, make sure that they acted because it turns out they didn't even know what some of the um, monitoring stations did. Like they, the, the, the site had been handed over by Cardiff Bay Development and you know, I, I, there's so many factors to this story. It's very complicated. And so I got this first FOI request back. And basically the only two bits of actual facts that I had on this FOI request, which was nearly like a full one and a half pages long, was no, the leak has not stopped. And we have spent almost £300,000 on this this work and it's still not stopped and they have now closed the park people are angry about it because you know their lives dog walking are uh, like impacted this is like this park is like big in the community anyway what transpires is I asked about eight questions I got two questions that were actually useful and then I tried to follow up with questions to like the councillors and stuff like that you then have to ask for another FOI request. They'll, they probably won't answer. Like I, I had to get into contact with the press office and he gave me a little bit of information. He, um, he did tell me a different way of wording some of the things that had been sent to me over email, but 
if I, I tried asking for more information and there just wasn't there wasn't any leeway. It always takes time though. Like you'll be able to submit. I'm sure you have submitted other freedom informations because of it, and they will come back in at least for in yeah. up to four weeks. And I think that's basically when you send out an FOI, you accept you're not getting it for at least three. Yeah, it's a long term plan. And you just slowly that can be follow ups. It can be a rolling story almost. I got an FOI back um, last Friday about the number of teachers off with COVID at the moment. Um, and that was again, I, I was I also asked about pupils, but I then got referred to a different board about a, so another organisation that will have those statistics. It's often it's not glamorous at sending off FOIs in, in my head before journalism. I seem to think it was. Um, like all the president's men or spotlight you know when you're you're, you're spending a night in, in an archive sort of searching for information or you're running to door knock or the drama when actually the vast majority of this is waiting for someone to email you or the, there's a lot of oh, I think or, or rewording um, not to mention editing after you've written a piece um, which can be brutal um, I think one thing I'd have really liked to know before coming onto this course would be sort of how do you find stories? I know you've, you, I really like the Excel idea. I think that's brilliant. I have just a really big note on my phone with everything I see in my community. Um, so sort of what are a couple of ways that you would sort of recommend for finding stories? What do you do? Well, on like day one when we got our patches, I joined loads of Facebook groups. Um, Anything with the word Grangetown in, I'm a member. Uh, most of them are not active, <laughs> but um, Grangetown community page is very active. There's a really good community um, that posts a lot of their like projects and stuff like that. There's um, so I, I joined that page and I like trawl through that. But there's also a really good um, Grangetown community like pavilion where they have. They have so many different things going on. Realistically, I haven't got to the point where I need to yet, but if I ever don't have a story, I will just email them to see what projects they've got going or like what what they're doing that week and how it's benefiting the community. Like there's always something along those lines. As soon as you can get into the community, I think you've kind of sorted it. That's the key, isn't it? It's knowing the right people in the community as well. I think that's absolutely, that's exactly the same I did on Facebook, join as many groups as possible. Um, I also found that sort of looking at businesses for business stories, Google Maps, just mm -hmm. scroll around your patch because realistically, when I walked around quite a lot of buildings, I'm st you're still not really sure what's in them. Um, so that's how I found, say, axe throwing or sort of the allotments. That was from look, scrolling around. That's yeah. That's that can f show you some interesting things because sometimes hidden gem stories, lovely. They <laughs> smash views as we've learned in digital journalism. Some terms just really do well for search and uh, searching on Google. Yeah. But the other thing I'd say is actually your councillors. I think it really depends on how good the councillors fuel area is, but they are far better than your MP. I've never heard back from the MP for Cardiff on anything. Um, I've talked to the council leader and I've talked to my councillors lots. They are really keen on pushing positive stories. Yeah, key word, positive stories. That is very key as well, because yeah. they're, they're, they're less keen on anything negative. So Mystery Ash, for example, <laughs> was less popular with my councillors. Yes. Um, but... Still needs to go out there. Still needs to be published. Exactly. That's when you. That's when you turn to the community yeah. itself. And I think uh, getting to know people are well connected in the community is really important. Also, I think what I've struggled with is like a lot of times I won't get responses from 
definitely my counsellors, but also some of the main members of like the community where I'm like, this is exactly where your comment is completely necessary. I mean, one week I even did a story where it was literally involved. It was literally their project, right? And still just not, not a response. It's very hard to get in contact with, left on read a lot, whatever. It was, it was about their story and it made me really like frustrated because I was basically doing them a favor by gaining, giving them like free press. But I think I, I've realized since doing that story, the same thing with counselors, like these pillars of the community are very, very busy. Yeah. Realistically, I'm a trainee journalist. Exactly. And I think that's that's part of the learning process, isn't it? Is realizing that actually, well, from your perspective, it's, oh, they've got the whole day to respond to me. Why have they not mm. got back? But actually, if you think about sort of, if you when you weren't doing this course, you've got stuff, you, you've got stuff going on. Mm. Uh, if you've got a job, you're busy most of the day. And in the evenings, you're probably quite tired and you're not thinking, oh, I'll have a call with that journalist about that issue that realistically, especially for a counsellor, you've got so much going on. And especially if it's not a good, if it doesn't, if it's not a, uh, a positive story about their patch, like, they don't want to, they don't want to comment because, to be honest, like, it's not that they're, it's not that it's their problem in the sense of, like, it's their fault, but also, you know, whatever comment they give, people in the community will see their comment and be like, oh, so they are aware of it and they're not doing anything. I'm thinking it now into my flight tipping story this week. This is what I'm thinking of when I say that because, you know, I contacted all three of the the um, counsellors, didn't receive a comment. And that's because Grangetown has been found for the third year running to be the worst area in Cardiff for fly tipping. They aren't going to want it. They aren't going to want to respond to that you know no they're not it, it's interesting i think for my story of the week one of the things so my story this week is about the number of teachers that have been off um with covid at the moment and it's four times the number that were off last january um and i think one of the key things i think that that, that would be important to know is that trust with the community and the people you're writing for is is actually vital i hadn't i sort of had assumed people trusted journalists mm which is absolutely not true. Um, but I'd thought that, you know, watchdog role would be more important. But actually, I think um, if you have done a couple of those good community stories, you've made the connections, then they actually, they trust you. They might not trust journalists, but they will then trust you. Or even this paper, but they trust you. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think that now when you're doing the big stories, it's good to have done quite a few of the community stories yeah. oh, so that you've got 100%. support. At the beginning of the year, I did a story on... Um, needles in Grangetown and it was really hard to get comments from people in the community because to be honest like I mean I know with Grangetown Grangetown gets Grangetown gets a really bad rep and it's actually a really nice place and the people that live there like living there for the most part there are obviously certain areas that like are fly tipped a lot for example and I had one woman um, say to me, the reason this came up actually was completely out of the blue. Her car had been vandalized repeatedly. I interviewed her about that. That story never went to press. But at the end of that interview, I asked, you know, do you have anything else? And then she told me about this fly tipping. Fly tipping at Clive Lane is horrendous, very bad. She said, if I could afford to move, I would. So yeah, there are areas of Grangetown that lots of people don't want to live in, but equally, there's such a nice community there and it it gets if you're writing stories 
negative stories, especially at the beginning of the year when no one knows you, people aren't going to want to talk to you because you're kind of like... Sort of sneering at their yes, area. You're, yeah. not one, you're not on their side. Exactly. You are writing for them, not about them. And that's the thing. So um, one of the stories... One of the stories I wrote was about a community project. And someone read that article and then contacted me to say, oh, do you want to write about this? And it was like the all-female gym. And that was one of my best stories. I loved writing that story. Um, gaining, gaining people's trust from a grassroots perspective is probably the most... Like, I would be anxious to have published a story about how Greytown is the worst affected area of the fly tipping, had I not already made a, a kind of positive impact in the community, because otherwise it's just a bit like... Exactly. I think I think it is It is almost, it's a balance between the positive and the negative, and you've got through the good, the highlights and the sort of, the people, as well as some of the less glamorous aspects. Splot is exactly the same. It's, it's, it's got the uh, highest crime rate in Cardiff. Um, it, it has its, its negatives, but it also has some incredible people that I've uh, really enjoyed meeting. So I think it's it's all about that balance. I think also on that note, it's like when we write these stories that are maybe not painting it in the best light, we're not doing it in a sense of like writing from, like we're not, we're still not writing about it to other people in a negative light, we're saying, look, this is something that locals are worried about. And hopefully us writing about it, like you said earlier, from like a watchdog perspective, writing about a subject that is negative about this this like patch or this this beat is essential in order to get their voices heard. So we're just we're basically just the voices of the residents, or that's our aim, isn't it? Like you have to write from you even even when it is a story that maybe is negative you still have to write from the perspective of readers from your beat sources are essential i mean it's not a story if you haven't got good sources i think and i, I think that's something say today i really struggled getting teachers to talk to um which i is annoying like from a perspective like you want to get as good a sources as possible for the story um and so with anything community driven you want community leaders, real people. You c A counsellor coat is excellent if it's something that that is the best person for. But say I did a sports story the other week and I used a counsellor quote in it and that was obviously not the right quote to be using. Um, it wasn't a bad quote. It's it's not necessarily what they say, but it's who they are and what their experience is in. Talking to a parent whose kid loved playing at Spot Albion or something would have been a better source. I think um, there, are, there are so many things we can discuss um, that we will in future weeks. Um, I think sort of sources videos, uh, phone calls, the stress around that. Yeah, yeah. I think um, the, the sort of the key part of my story this week, as it was an FOI, was sort of wording that. I mean, we've talked about that, but the wording was crucial. Um, they didn't actually answer all of my questions either. Um, but I think that the way to do an FOI is always to ask for a statistic or numbers are what they're comfortable with saying. They're not going to send you sentences explaining their thoughts. It's, it's facts that an FOI deals with. Um, and I think, yeah, again, I've, I've mentioned that the problem with sources, I think I struggled finding teachers, 
but um, press offices are quite good. If you can find organisations, then the press offices will get back to you. Um, however, I'm still waiting to hear from two supply teacher agencies, and they I doubt they will ever get back to me. I talked to them both this morning, but... Um, but yeah, people are busy. I think that's sort of, that's the summary. You've got to realise where you're coming in someone's day. Yeah. And also, the Cardiffian isn't the biggest name. If it was like the BBC or ITV, they might have more time. But we are trainee journalists and at the end of the day, I think the name actually has a big impact on people, you know, like of how willing they are to help out. Yeah. So you kind of have to make up for that in the way that you are. So if you go and visit them in person or whatever, like, I love doing that, but it makes me so anxious. But I get so much better responses when I go in person and interview people in person, because suddenly you're a person. Whereas if someone from the BBC was like, oh yeah, can I like interview you? You're being interviewed by the BBC. It's not the person on the other end of the line, but for us, it's us. So those teachers might not get back in contact with you, but you know, it's just a case of it's it's they're busy but also like we don't hold enough stance in like i don't know the community like in the public eye yeah it's it's kind of something like that isn't it but i do quite like that element in a weird way it's a challenge but it's also a sort of a test it's sort of how how it's sort of you've got to have a personality i think not in the way you write. You've got to be sort of very careful in how you phrase things. It's not about what you what you think. But in terms of meeting people and winning them over and getting those great quotes, I quite like that challenge of, oh, I've never heard of the Cardiffian or whatever. It's sort of, what do you do? Why do you do it? I expect people are always sort of, what's your angle on this? And, and when you actually explain a story to them and show that actually I'm just sort of, I just want to sort of expose what you do and not in a bad way. <laughs> that sounded horrendous. But in a way where... I want to show people what is the good that you do. How do you sort of, how do you work? And often then they completely open up and they're comfortable. And that's that's the best feeling. Yeah, that's when you get the most adrenaline, isn't it? 100%. It's, where, it's when you have those click moments where suddenly you do understand that different element. Yeah. And uh, there's going to be plenty more of them, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, I think that's that's a good place to wrap up for the episode. I think it's been, it's been nice to discuss why we're doing this, uh, what we've struggled with this week and in the past. And uh, we look forward to discussing more issues from videoing, phone calls, uh, to interviewing in coming weeks. And we'll interview some other people in the newsroom in the following weeks about their stories and some of their struggles. And yeah, thank you for listening. Okay, that's all from us from Beyond the Beat.